Hey everybody, my name is Axel Villemil. We're back on 24 Shades of Blue with the amazing Ken Taylor, Inspector of the Fugitive Squad. Ken, how you doing? Not bad. Thank you very much for the intro. You're stretching it a little bit, by the way. <laughs> Not a problem. I'm very excited to talk to you. Um, for everybody that doesn't know him, you know, Ken uh, with the Fugitive Squad. But apart from that, everybody internally telling me he's the guy to talk to because he sounds like he's just a fun time to talk to on a podcast like this. So I'm excited to have this conversation and, you know, just getting to know you. Uh, I mean, the first question, Ken, that I kind of wanted to touch upon was, you know, how would you describe the fugitive unit? I feel like that's such a broad term. And I'm not sure if everybody, you know, especially the public will kind of understand that. Well, let, let me start off with uh, how many people we have working there. It's, uh, first of all, I'm in charge of the fugitive squad. The bail and parole unit is also attached to that. And also the provincial rope squad, which is repeat offender parole enforcement. And that's, uh, 13 different police services throughout Southern Ontario. And we basically do the same thing as a fugitive squad. But the fugitive squad is made up of uh, one detective sergeant, one detective, six detective constables, and one uh, clerk. And uh, just basically life life in the, uh, the fugitive squad is like many other uh, places uh, that police officers work uh, both in uniform and in plain clothes, is your hours you book on Monday to Friday, uh, whatever hours you work. But those hours extend because criminals, uh, criminals don't take uh, time off. They don't have hours that they commit their crimes or try and evade police. And it's just, it's, it's a group of people that are uh, very close-knit, uh, first of all, it, uh, you you have to have quite a bit of experience even to uh, come into the Fugitive Squad. We like to see uh, candidates that have either surveillance experience, uh, some detective experience, like maybe Guns and Gangs, Drug Squad, um, and that they can fold well into a team. Because uh, as uh, you can understand, it's a close-knit group of people. They start uh, in the morning where there's very, very little stress and the stress can be elevated very quickly. And then uh, it comes down again. And, oh, is the person there? No, he's not. Is he there? No, he's not. So you've got to have, you've got to have a certain type of personality to work here. Oh, I bet. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, not just the personality because those, those long working hours or, or um, non-regulated working hours just the intuition you'll need to sound it sounds like there's there's that little extra you need to work with the fugitive squad is that right that is and it's you've got to have first of all you got to have common sense and a lot of uh police work just comes right down to to common sense police work is not rocket science and as long as you give the effort um there's so many resources available so for example if we are hunting one of our mandates is to assist agencies throughout the world to uh, apprehend criminals that have left their jurisdiction and they believe that they are in Canada and uh, they're and even closer in the GTA. So if we get uh, if we get some information and a request from an outside agency, uh, another country, well, first of all, we have two uh, two people that work at CBSA 
customs officers that work with us uh, with the fugitive squad. I forgot. Sorry, I forgot to mention we have two of those officers that work hand in hand with the fugitive squad. So we we have so many resources that uh, the officers have so many resources, so many computer checks, information, and yeah, Google, Facebook. Um, they'll, they'll gather all the information that they can possibly gather, uh, driver's licenses, photo recognition, everything at their disposal, and then they'll start an investigation. So each investigation that comes in will be assigned, uh, an officer will be assigned to that investigation. So, uh, when that, when it comes time to look at that particular investigation, the team gets together, the officer who's in charge of it presents their case to the other the other members of the team and amongst themselves they decide the next course of action is it surveillance is it uh, controlled delivery it depends on what the circumstances are but one of the things that we try and do and this goes for any fugitive anywhere in the world uh, any fugitive squad try and make the fugitive feel as uncomfortable as possible so for example um, we have a fugitive from the United States, and I'm going to go. I'm going to give you three examples, which is, might be kind of interesting. Uh, all of them are pretty, uh, pretty exciting cases. But one of the things that we try and do is they want to make it very uncomfortable for somebody to go shopping to pick up groceries. They want to make it very uncomfortable for somebody to go to a corner store to pick up cigarettes, go to a restaurant, go to a bar, because. They'll plaster the area with wanted posters. This guy is, this person is wanted for, he's a fugitive from the United States and he's wanted, we believe he's living in this area. And that this, after a, a, quite a bit of investigation goes on first, but then it gets to, to this point where we flood the area with this person's, the fugitive's picture. So we don't want him, he can't even go out of his house or if he does, Oh, uh, we'll get a call and say, I just saw this person. And I'm going to give you an example of that uh, in a few minutes about how that in fact happened. And we use all our, there's, out, there's external partners where uh, they can assist. It's just not, they're just not all police agencies. There's always, there's external partners that have uh, dedicated, um, uh, dedicated their time to assist the police in, uh, in, uh, getting these serious criminals off the street and making the streets wherever these people are a lot safer. Are those external partners um, not just within Canada? Is it The ones that we deal with are in Canada, but we, we have a close relationship with uh, the U.S. Marshal Service. As a matter of fact, we speak to the U.S. Uh, a U.S. Marshal Service person somewhere in the United States every day. We have a close relationship with Interpol because a lot of the uh, warrants that come from outside uh, of Canada, from around the world, uh, go through Interpol. So we have a direct connection to, uh, to Interpol. Um, we also have a, a connection with the Nordic, uh, fugitive, the, the Nordic fugitive search teams, and that's in all the Nordic, uh, Nordic countries. We have uh, another uh, connection with NFAST, which is the European fugitive search teams. And how we get these connections is uh, before COVID, the Fugitive Squad would host a fugitive conference um, every other year. And this uh, was in conjunction with the U.S. Marshal Service. We attract uh, uh, people, investigators, fugitive investigators from uh, across the world. 
And our last one, which was unfortunately three years ago because of COVID, attracted tw- uh, fugitive investigators from 21 countries. So, um, and you know, this, this is a big uh, this is a big thing to take on because we need interpreters. A lot of the people that come here don't speak English, but the camaraderie and the uh, the the interpersonal relationships. And in fact, the last uh, the last conference, there was three people arrested just because of conversations between investigators from across Canada and around the world. Three fugitives were arrested just from talking to each other. Wow, I think that really shows the community right there and how important it is for all of you to be working together with, with at the end of the day, it's the sharing of information. So I feel like, I mean, a lot of the public doesn't really know this about Toronto Police Services having this type of unit um, doing their thing. I mean, it, it, it sounds like, I mean, if you look at it from a Hollywood perspective, you're on the go, you're, 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 you're on the hunt, ready to go catching fugitives. And I feel like, is there anything is there any misconceptions in, in the, what you see in Hollywood um, that, you know, you'd like to talk about or kind of a myth bust here? One of the things is that it, it doesn't happen in an hour show. So some of these uh, I'm going to I'm going to talk about a fugitive who was on the run for over 20 years and was just captured a couple of weeks ago. But these things take a lot of time. And as I as I said earlier, um, as soon as one a fugitive investigation comes in. There's a lot of paperwork to do. So there could be days of paperwork. Uh, one thing leads to another, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, phone number. There's all kinds of investigative techniques that we use before we even uh, go out and try and, uh, and try and find this person. And we also work with the community. Uh, we, there are people either, most of the time, our people are covert. So the public will never know that we are out there. But there are other times when uh, we do ask for uh, assistance from the public. And in a lot of those cases, you can imagine it's a lot better uh, to have a whole community because I've been on the I've been on the police force for a long, long time. And I I live in the city. I love Toronto. And I know that the the people of Toronto really want to keep this. uh, They want to keep Toronto safe. And uh if all we have to do is get out there and ask them. And uh, in my experience in homicide, uh, I had nothing but a great experience with the public trying to help because you live in a community where you're, you're trying to raise your kids. You're trying to, uh, you're out all the time uh, working. Uh, and these people still want to want to help. And then they might see somebody, you know, if we show them a picture, yeah, I know that person. I've seen him hanging around the, the schoolyard or I've seen him hanging around here. So that cuts off a lot of uh, surveillance time, people sitting in cars when you just go out and ask. So, but not every case allows for that. But when it does, our people will go out with the local uniform people and uh, hand out pamphlets, ask questions. And the community is normally aggressive and want to get, they want to keep their community safe. For themselves and their kids. I think that's the beauty of Toronto. It's um, as much as there's this misconception of, you know, especially you know in the in the past couple of years with with police and and community. I feel like after speaking to so many people, uh, such as like yourself, people from Crime Stoppers, etc., it's just the community really, really does care. So I'm I'm glad to hear that even on your side that if there's something there or somebody that's threatening the community safety that everybody does care 
um, and is going to work no, no matter what the case is. So I'm excited to hear that. You know, I kind of want to go back to your, your three wonderful um, examples there. And uh, I also want to talk about maybe out of those three, what is the most memorable experience to out of your, um, your time at the Fugitive Squad? Um, that could be with a, a case that was just bugging you or it's something that uh, just really, you know, made you feel good about what you do. Let me start off with uh, one that happened. It was a homicide case back in 2007. It wasn't my case. It was a Detective Sergeant Wayne Banks. It was a murder that happened on the Danforth. And um, and this is a good example of how the community gets involved uh, and how ultimately it is the community that solves the case. But... Um, the uh, the person uh, is killed on the Danforth. The investigation goes on. They get information, and it takes a little bit of time, but they end up with a suspect. So uh, the suspect uh, flees to the United States, but be, uh, shortly after the murder, and flees to uh, join an Albanian gang in the New York City. But uh, the police up here don't know that yet. But um, they uh, hand out pamphlets along the Danforth, and I indicated this earlier on, community involvement. So uh, nothing comes of it. Um, about uh, six months go by, and uh, they get a call. The New York City police get a call saying uh, from a female who was used to live in Toronto and was at a dance club in New York City, and the suspect from the murder six months ago came up to her and asked her to dance. And gave the same nickname. I think the nickname was, I can't remember what the nickname was, but gave the same nickname as the suspect had up here in Toronto. So uh, immediately after that, the, the, the uh, homicide squad contacted the fugitive squad. And uh, they started an investigation with the New York City police, with the U.S. Marshal Service. And uh, within eight hours of that investigation, the accused was brought into custody. So this is just a, a lady that used to live in Toronto, was down maybe visiting in a dance club in New York City. This guy asked her to dance, and she recognizes it from a pamphlet she saw six months ago. And we get a serious, violent um, gang member off the streets. Like At some point, he's going to end up coming back to Toronto. And uh, New York, we work. That's, that's the kind of cooperation that we have with uh, the New York police and all police services across the world, and uh, specifically the U.S. Marshal Service. Uh, there's a lot of friendships. As a matter of fact, I, I'm quite uh, close friends with a former director of the U.S. Marshals, and um, we just have a tremendous relationship with them. And uh, so that's one where Toronto, we're looking for a fugitive, and the U.S. Marshals and the New York City police find him. Uh, he waives his extradition. He comes back to Toronto, faces a second murder, second degree murder uh, trial. Trial lasts four weeks and uh, he's convicted of second degree murder. And just a quickly comment on that is, you know, especially with a lot of the U.S. Um, um, organizations and, and relationships that you, the Fugitive Squad in, in Toronto has. Is it because of just obviously it's the nature of, of um, law enforcement to to communicate? But is it also because there's a lot of, you know, back and forth between fugitives and U.S. and Canada? I mean, we're right next to each other. Is, 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 is that a possible reason too? That's, you're, you're absolutely right. There is a lot of uh, fugitives from the United States come across Canada. I'm going to give you an example of one of those, which uh, in a minute. 
but there's a there's probably more uh, fugitives come into the uh, come into Canada from the United States than from Canada that, to try and evade prosecution uh, that uh, go from Canada into the United States. But um, yeah, the, the 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 rapport we have with the U.S. Marshal Service, the information that we can get in seconds because of our relationships uh, with these services um, and the professionalism long before. Uh, the officers who are working presently in the Fugitive Squad. It, it started off, Fugitive Squad started off uh, 20 years ago with 21 constables, one, two detectives and one detective sergeant. So we've had to dwindle that down. But from the start, the reputation and, uh, and the hard work and the reputation that the Fugitive Squad has throughout the world, because a lot of times we will get requests from countries around the world for somebody wanted in Calgary or somebody wanted in BC. And because the people know, uh, maybe from conferences that they met, or just they know that when they call the Fugitive Squad, they're going to be able to help them. If they can't do the investigation for them, they're going to put them in touch with people who can in a very short order. So, and a lot of these time, a lot of these investigations are time stamped. We want to get them as soon as we can. These are, we're not talking about somebody that stole a steak from uh, from a grocery store. In most cases, these are very violent people. And uh, and in a lot of cases, sexual predators uh, that uh, try and evade uh, prosecution, say, in the United States or vice versa, from Canada, the United States, or from Europe, and they come here. But uh, because of the rapport, because of the, the uh, technology that we have now, yeah. that uh, it really, really helps. And... Um, I'll give you now. I'll give you the example uh, of one from in the United States uh, that he came across to Canada, and then uh, he was arrested here. And it's kind of interesting. This person is lives in South Carolina with his wife. Uh, has a domestic. He shoots her and kills her. Um, he uh, gets in his truck, drives north, uh, and crosses at the Rainbow Bridge. Now. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of uh, somebody that, you know, when you pull up to these wickets and you go up and you're scared talking to the guy uh, <laughs> when you cross the border, uh, the picture that they have, incredible. Like they could, you could tell if they've got a pimple on their face. I couldn't believe it when I looked at this picture. So this guy comes up, he just killed his wife like maybe eight hours before, drives up in his pickup uh, 150. Uh, comes up to the border, yeah, and he's got actually two guns in his car too when he does this. Um, and he talks to the guy, well, what are you doing? What are you coming across for? Oh, I'm just visiting. Um, and, oh, yeah, no problem. Do you have anything to declare? No, okay, how long are you going to be here? The same questions we get asked, right? He comes in. Uh, he stays the first night uh, somewhere around uh, in a hotel near Niagara Falls. Then he travels to Toronto. And now... Uh, the homicide squad from South Carolina now have identified that uh, they found the, the, his wife murdered. They start an investigation. They start their checks. And then they find out that he crossed the border. So we get contacted. The fugitive squad starts conducting investigations, starting right with the picture I just talked to you about when he crossed the border. And... Um, they got information through the United States and South Carolina that he might be trying to catch a plane in Toronto to leave the country. So he may be staying at a hotel. Now, I don't know if you've 
I don't know if you live in Toronto, but there's a lot of hotels near the airport and it's time stamped. So like we got to rush. So we've frantically, everybody's in their car. They're rushing up to, and this is how it happens. It's not like, you know, uh, we all get together and we, you know, stand at attention and somebody comes in and check. These people are flying in their cars up to the airport, including the CBSA people. We find this car parked, or we find one of the hotels saying, yes, this guy just checked out like two hours ago and he said he's going to the airport. So sure enough, they check his name. He's on a manifest to an aircraft that's going to London, England. And it leaves in like minutes. So there's two CBS. We have credentials that we can get through the airport in a hurry. We can basically run through. So you can picture that there's three, there's two CBSA officers and two fugitive squad plainclothes officers running frantically through the airport. They catch him. He's number three in line to pass his passport and his airline ticket off to the lady before he boards the aircraft. So he's arrested. And uh, so that was kind of that was an exciting time. And it just shows the, like, it's just, they pick up a phone and this is how we react. We react that quickly. Sometimes we're lucky, sometimes we're not. And uh, this time we were lucky. So that was kind of one of the... Yeah, that just sounded like the biggest Hail Mary I've ever heard. Um, and I think that's that's the beauty of, of what you do. You, you just go. You just go. And, you know, I, I travel a lot for work, you know, whether it's um, more in LA or Vancouver. And that area, amount of hotels is just, it's a crazy, uh, I guess, um, radius of, of, of hotels that are there. So the amount of, you know, power, people power that, w- that was on that probably was, was nuts and rushing through the airport. Um, and I know there's times where I do notice officers, but I'm sure at some point you got, you have to be discreet or else that person's going to react. And, uh, it sounds like a lot of skill and, and just pure instinct needed to happen at that moment. You know, like they, they knew where he was, they knew what gate he was at and, and off they went. But again, it's the, uh, painstaking you can imagine if you just put yourself in the car like hi i'm uh, you walk up to the front desk uh yeah did you see this guy no okay thank you next one do you see this guy no so uh um it's probably a little more professional than that but you know what you get my you get the point and uh i just i'm just so proud of these people the way they do that um and the dedication that they show and i'm just not talking about the fugitive squad all like the rope squad bail and parole the, the guns and gangs guys here in the opp throughout throughout the province, the people that I deal with, um, is, uh, these people are really hardworking. They really are. And, uh, they're dedicated individuals. And I'll give you a, an example. We have a female in the fugitive squad. She has three kids. So she's trying to cook supper one night on a Saturday and her phone's going off and she's got like three kids screaming. Some guy's calling them from calling her from Calgary saying, Hey, like, you know, you know about this, uh, we got this fugitive guy and he's on the run. Okay. In a second, let me just turn down the oven and let me take this stuff off. You know, this, that's, that's real life. That's what happens. Um, but they love what they do. You have to be dedicated as you do for any, uh, anything. And, and in your business too, you know, like you got to be dedicated to travel all over the place. Like, Oh, I don't want to leave my house. Like COVID's on yet you travel all over the place. So you're dedicated to what you do. It's just, it's just different. You know, you're dedicated there. Police are dedicated here. Absolutely. I mean, there's a, that's a different type of dedication, especially, you know, sh- shout out to her on the, uh, on the, on the fugitive squad, um, that, that, that woman with her kids, because I mean, not only being a mom is hard as she's also on the fugitive squad. So, uh, that's, that's very impressive. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like from a mental health standpoint, is that tough, you know, when you're at home, especially if, like, I mean, you're leading it. I'm, you know, I'm not sure if you're on the ground as much, but in terms of like everybody else who, who is really there in the thick of it, um, including yourself, like, how was that with, with being at home? Was it tricky to just like drop everything and go? Um, did you figure out the balance? For me now, like my job is pretty easy. Like I just basically uh, go around and I collect all the accolades for the people that work hard. So my job's easy, but I, like when I was in homicide, it's different. And that's how these people are. That's how they are in guns and gangs. That's how, and I know you spoke to the holdup squad, homicide squad guys. Um, and this is throughout the province. It's just not Toronto. It's like every, and you know, at the end of the day, if you put your hand up to be in the fugitive squad, you know, that's what it, your hours say you work Monday to Friday, but uh, most of the time day shift, but it's really 24-7 because you're tied to your phone. And I'm sure your phone is going off all the time, so you know exactly what it's like. It's really no different. In business, same thing. The phone's going off. You can't just shut the phone off in this type of work. Absolutely. I mean, and 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 especially in what you do and, and the rest of the team down at TPS, it's, it's life or death. It's it's safety for the community. So I think that's where it's um, it's not just impressive from, I guess, our standpoint looking looking uh, outside in it's it's also just you know i have a much um high respect as i've spoken to everybody um you know in each department so you know ken just want to thank you what you do thank you what the fugitive squad does is there any final thoughts about the fugitive squad you want to share with our listeners i i just want to thank you first of all for allowing me to speak on behalf of uh the hardworking people of the fugitive squad and and not only just the fugitive squad but I know we're, we're, we're keying in on the fugitive squad now, but all the hardworking people, it's nice that, that, um, that you recognize that and that um, somebody as professional as you and, and as professionally as the rest of the people that are, are on this call and work around you. Uh, I just appreciate the opportunity to speak to you. And, uh, and uh, I want to give a positive thing, a positive response to how we work with the public and how we work and the hard work uh, that goes into it in order to get somebody like this off, a fugitive off the street. And thank you very much. Absolutely. Well, Ken, thank you so much. I think we can all agree that at the end of the day, as long as the community is safe, that's what we all agree upon. So um, Ken Taylor, everybody, 24 Shades of Blue, and we're out. Hi.